Hi, hello, good morning, everyone. This is ERO, and it stands for Best Radio on Air. And you're turning to KDRT 95.7, Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. I'm Roger. I'm here with my group number, Bunny, Antonio, and Monse. I'm gonna pass it to Monse to introduce today's topic. All right. Thank you, Roger, for that introduction. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the Cow for Mascot movement at UC Davis. So a couple of students started this movement several weeks ago, and it has gained a lot of activity online. And so yeah, so basically this movement is trying to. Our current mascot for UC Davis is a Mustang, and we are currently trying to、um, change it to be a cow. And a couple of the reasons why students have decided to do this、um, is well. A cow, for one, is something that all UC Davis students, all Aggies, can kind of relate to, just because we either smell, you know, the cows、uh, on campus, or we pretty much just see them, you know, over by the Tercero、um, housing area. And it's a mascot that can build a community. It's someone. It's a mascot that anyone can recognize, and it's just something that Aggies can associate with that other UCs don't necessarily.、Um, and In a little background history for this movement was that in 1993, students actually voted for the cow to become the official UC Davis mascot. But then later, the chancellor at the time and the administration rejected this movement, and unfortunately, it was not passed. So here we are, several years later, trying to make this happen again. So now we're going to go ahead and play an interview that one of our members、um, recorded about the mascot. So,、uh, introduce yourself and say hi to our radio station friends. Hello, my name is Jackie, and、uh, I'm a third-year computer science major at UC Davis. Um, do you know this colorful mascot movement, and what do you think about this movement? Uh, I first knew about this movement when I looked over a post about this movement on Instagram. The image of this account is a small cow. Then last week on picnic day, I saw that students held some activities for this movement. There is a very huge, cute image. The cute cow with a crown and、uh, it's also wearing a pair of sunglasses. Although the current mascot of our school is Gunrock, this is also very special mascot. But personally. I will probably vote for the small cow because I think this cow is cute and representative of UC Davis, and the shape is more friendly. I will I will also introduce this movement to my friends, and、uh, ask them if they would like to vote. Okay, thank you. Okay. For those university students interested on the topic. There is a referendum to change the UC Davis mascot on the ASUCD ballot. The ballot will be available at the ASUCD election page from May 9th to May 11th, with all undergraduate students eligible to vote. 60% of the vote must be in favor of the measure in order for the referendum to pass. There's also the official Instagram page called Cow, the number four mascot. That's Cow for Mascot. Awesome! Thank you, Antonio, for that. Yeah, and so 
now we can um, we're gonna have just a brief discussion of the uh, kind of the social media movement that this has been gaining. Um, so yeah, so if any students who are interested in following um, this movement, their IG handle is at Cal4Mascot. Um, and it has been gaining many, many followers over the past couple of days. And you could catch them um, uh, tabling at the MU several days throughout the week. Um, yeah, and so just another thing that why Aggies as students wanted to kind of make this movement pass is uh, there are only four other UCs that have a unique mascot, you know, rather than it being a, a Mustang. And those other UCs are UC Santa Barbara, which is a Guachos. You have UC Santa Cruz, which is a Slugs. Then you have UC San Diego, the King Tridons, and then UC Irvine, which are the Anteaters. Um, but how do you guys feel about this love movement? Like, are you guys for it, or how do you feel? I I feel like I am I'm for it, mostly because there's a whole lot of uh, horse mascots, but to have a cow mascot would be I think really unique. Um, and also, can I just say I, I really like Santa Cruz's freak um, mascot is a slug. Yeah, I don't know. Too. I find that really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I I was kind of shocked that uh, to find out the mascot of our school is not or is not cow. Like when I first uh, when I first when I was first time hearing Davis, like you can't like if somebody comes to Davis for the first time, you can you can you can smell the cow. <laughs> like, like it's just such a good representation for our school. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of Aggies can, can definitely relate to a cow. That's kind of like the first thing you see and smell when you come to campus. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. And then just on social media, they're doing a really good job at kind of like reaching out to students to make this happen. And I actually found out yesterday that the referendum did pass and it did make it to the ballot. So, so for students who are interested, again, in making this pass, um, the elections are coming up soon, so just make sure you vote yes on it, and maybe um, we'll have a new mascot coming up soon. Um, but yeah, on social media, um, people in charge of this movement are making a lot of like tote bags and stickers and merch, which is kind of very popular for students on campus, and it kind of it gets their attention. So that's how it's been it's been gaining a lot of movement. Um, Bonnie, what do you think about about the movement for a mascot? Um, I also follow the Instagram of this movement, and we can see many posts about this cow, and I think it's cute cow. Uh, I also will vote this, because maybe we can make the history, I don't know. Right. Yeah. 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 It's meaningful. I think so, too. But I will be a little sad to see Gunrock leave, if it does happen, even though <laughs> the horses may be overused, you know. I'm a fourth year. I've, I've uh, gone to school the whole time. It's been gun rock. Right. And then just coming back, be like, oh, now there's a cow. It's like, a cow, yeah. It'd be a little sad, you know, but I'm, I'm willing to see right. you know, a change. Something unique, you know. I actually saw, um, I think they posted this on their Instagram page, or I don't know if it was a TikTok, but the people in charge of this movement, they actually went up to gun rock the mascot and tried to give them a cow for mascot sticker. <laughs> and he was just like, no, like, I don't I don't want this to happen. So it definitely will be sad. It's kind of like a bittersweet moment. You know, like a lot of students do um, do love gun rock. You know, he's kind of everywhere, like on campus, on school events and uh, sports games. But I think 
an Aggie would def I mean a cow would definitely be a the way to a way to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Also, um gun rock is I I I did some research yesterday. Gun rock is actually like it was a really old story. No it, it was a really old story. Really? Does anybody know the story? I know, you no. can go ahead and let it us was, know. It uh, was it was first uh it was from the US Army. Oh as a okay. cavalry. As oh a cavalry. Yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. And you said it was kind of just take the name and because uh, the the horse was sent to Davis and yeah to remember the horse and right they mm-hmm. used the name as the mascot. I do I do find the name really cool though Gunrock. Yeah, Gun that's Rock, that's a pretty yeah. cool name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, if we do, if it ends up that we get a cow mascot, I hope it gets like as well designed as our current Gunrock. I feel like his like costume, his mascot costume is pretty good. Like his blue horse, You're he's right. he's mus he's muscular. He has some muscle <laughs> on those arms. But I'm hoping that we get like an equally muscular cow or something. A strong cow. <laughs> yeah. That'd be that'd be kind of funny and a bit intimidating to see, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you everyone for listening. Um, this is uh, the cow for mascot movement. So thank you. Thank you.
welcome and thank you all to our listeners. Currently speaking are the Daydreamers with Reina, Vivian, Victoria, and me, Melissa. On this week's show, we're going to talk about the culture within UC Davis. Davis has a large amount of diversity and culture on campus. Through its students and through the many organizations and groups that help students get closer and learn more about their and other cultures. One of these groups is a dance group on UC Davis campus called DDA, also known as Dazantas del Alma. Here's a bit of history and background information on the groups. Dazantas del Alma was established in 1977 at UC Davis and is a student folklorico dance group. While they initially began as a small group of students formerly known as Ballet Folklorico del Alma, they have built a repertoire and have received performance requests throughout the community. Dizantes del Alma also encourages the celebration of traditional and contemporary Mexican, Chicano, and Latino cultures through leading and performing traditional dances. The troupe ultimately promotes student leadership, higher education, intellectual curiosity, and artistic expression. And so now we're going to play our interview with Nora, one of the managers of DDA, where she shares some info on who she is and what the dance troupe is all about. My name is uh, Nora Fernanda Espinosa Iñiguez, but I go by Nora. <laughs> um, I'm a fourth year biopsychology major, uh, double minor in Chicano Studies and Human Development. DDA is a short acronym for Danzantes del Alma, the UC Davis, and we're a holistic retention program uh, housed under the Cross Cultural Center on campus. It's right across Peter Rock Hall, actually. Yeah, and so um, we joined with them. Uh, back in the early 2000s, and um, but we've been around um, as a group since uh, 1977. So um, this year, I'm one of the managers of the of our troupe. Um, and troupe is just like a fancy word for like a group of people, a group of dancers. Uh-huh. And so, um, just a little bit of background, really quick, about DDA. Um, Danzantes del Alma translates to dancers of the soul, uh-huh. and so like a big part of you know, who we are as a program is being community. So we build community with each other, especially just like as minorities on campus. Um, it's really hard to, you know, find people to identify in cultures and, and just like overall values and such. Um, and so when you're a part of a culture that's just so like rich in diversity, even in its own country like origin like Mexico in general um, I feel like it's very easy to feel um, homesick or like feeling like you need that extra oomph if that makes sense and uh, I believe that you know DDA can provide that for folks and so as manager I help facilitate um, things related to our board we have a board of undergraduate students Um, a lot of times in like toxic dance communities, it's like very easy to be like, oh, if you're not like amazing already before entering, like, oh, don't bother joining or like things like that. Or it's like it can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And like uh, the main focus of our groups, you know, like I said, to build community and like create just like a nice, safe environment. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we don't have, like require any experience so that like beginners can learn from people who have been around in DDA for four years, dancing longer than that. Yeah. And it's just like, just like an great experience. <laughs> uh, the more that I've been involved in it as a dancer, I actually have classical background uh-huh. um, and I was trained when I was younger in ballet and oh. contemporary oh. and so like going from that to folklorico was like a bigger jump than I expected uh-huh. just because we are a ballet folklorico group uh-huh. but um, 
it's almost like combining two traditions into a fusion because you have traditions of like traditional movements that are associated to regions in Mexico mm -hmm. and also traditional movements of like elegancy in like grace and posture and like even like from your feet positions come from you know ballet so we incorporate like different aspects of it but um it's the like i believe it's like the perfect combination of like of um culture and like classical dancing but um each region is specific in its own um music and tempo and speed and even like our wardrobes vary depending on the region and so i think that's like what is like the biggest difference between um our type of dancing and traditional dancing i feel like even myself like i became more shy over yeah. the pandemic because <laughs> there was less social interaction so like coming back to it when you're in such a big group um it's it's uh, especially difficult in this pandemic world to like put yourself out into the world yeah. again and like reintroduce yeah. yourself and stuff it's weird but um and you're a manager for this yeah yeah my co-fernanda is amazing as well mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's probably just like been the biggest challenge just like getting pe folks to feel comfortable around each other and just like yeah. know that like we're doing our part as best as we can to keep each other safe so yeah, yeah. we can see you see a lot of effort in this yeah, yeah yeah for sure we love our dancers so uh, yeah uh, most of them started with no experience whatsoever oh. um, so there's no experience required to join us actually and so and that's just like another amazing thing that I love about our group it's just that Wow well thank you so much that was very informative um, it's really interesting hearing all of that information um, what do you guys think okay daydreamers um, we're all from different cultures and everything so what do you guys think about that yeah, I thought it was definitely interesting. Um, I actually did not know about the troupe before we had that interview. I know last week I actually went to a culture show put on by VSA. It's like Vietnamese Student Association. And like going in knowing nothing about Vietnam, I definitely walked away with like a lot of knowledge. And they're pretty entertaining too, which I'm a visual learner, by the way. So learning through dance and acting, it just made it easier to kind of absorb all the information. Yeah, I think it's really important for college, for college to have all those um, culture shows because it's a chance for all those people to show their own culture and for others to learn about different cultures and be more open-minded and embrace the, the differences on this world, especially in an environment like college. It's important for us to know how different p people are and to embrace the differences. For sure, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I agree with Vivian. And uh, uh, so I did the interview, and Nora told me that they're going to have a dance event on this Saturday. If you guys are interested in that, you can search on Google about DDA Davis. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so the event is just for specifics. It's this Saturday, the 30th, at the Mondavi Center. And um, the doors open at 5.30, and the show starts at 6 p.m. I think that DDA, as a Latina, is a very, um, is a group that I think I can relate to. And I would have loved to have joined it as a dancer myself, but I joined other things. But <laughs> it's still um, a really cool group and organization, and they seem very inclusive and open. And they seem to teach a lot about their culture, so I definitely suggest you guys check it out. 
again this Saturday. Um, so yeah, um, thank you so much for. Yeah, and just to notice, it, it's really easy to join them. You don't have to need. Uh, you don't have to have any dancing experience. They accept new dancers, and you can actually learn from uh, people who already joined their group. And um, yeah, just you can apply them online. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us, and definitely go check out DDA. All right, guys. So right now, before we switch groups, uh, oh, this is Nate Littlefield, by the way, and you're tuned in to KDRT 95.7 Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. We're going ahead and uh, we're switching up our records right now. Um, we got a we got something good for you guys. Uh, we got the uh, the album for the film The Breakfast Club. Uh, it's brought in by uh, one of my great group members, uh, big contributor this week. Uh, we dropped uh, something in here, but that's okay. Um, yeah, we love the Breakfast Club here. I've only seen it one time. Matt, do you want to chime in real quick on the Breakfast Club? Yeah, it's a great movie by John Hughes, probably one of the best movies of all time, uh, like one of the original coming-of-age movies and uh, with a beautiful soundtrack. <laughs> all right. Well, give us one second here. We're going to get set up, and we're going to move into our group.
All right, guys, we are back. Uh, I got a little interview today that uh, Jerry did with a Unitrans driver, and we're going to go ahead and play that for you guys right now. So for this week's segment, I am able to interview my housemate, who happens to be a Unitrans driver. Can you say hi to our listeners? Hi, everyone. I'm Wiser. All right. Thank you so much for letting me interview you today. I will start with an easy question. The first question I have, why did you choose to become a Unitrain driver? So, because it has higher wage compared to other students' job, and it is cool to have a commercial driver license. And I also think I won't be looking to be a bus driver after graduation, so this is pretty much the only time that I can work as a bus driver. Very cool. As we know, the UNHS is not only serving to the UC Davis students, but the entire Davis community. Do you think working as a bus driver let you feel more connected to the Davis community? Yeah, being a bus driver allowed me to have a chance to interact with all kinds of people in the community, not just the students. It makes me learn how to interact with, with people that I, I might not have be familiar before. Yeah, I think that's great, because like, most of us just interact with students pretty much every day. Even the restaurant we go to is usually just like, student-based, so I think that's a great opportunity to hang out with all kinds of people from the community. True, true. So this is next question is from my groupmate, Matt. He's curious about how you bus drivers are able to make some crazy wide turns that turn so smoothly. Do you have any tips or like explanation for him on this? Um, so because bus driver's seat is located in front of the front wheels and because the bus is longer, so when we are turning, we need to go forward till the driver's body pass the things we want to avoid, like a corner or a sign, then we start turning. At the same time, we need to keep checking on the mirrors to make sure the back of the bus doesn't hit anything. Well, that sounds it takes a quite a skill, and I'm pretty sure you must be very nervous when you are doing some of the practice and the first time you get on the road. Okay, cool. Let's jump to the last question. So this question will be the more chill one. It's from my roommate Hao Han. He asks, uh, which road do you think has the best view? I would say it's P-Line because it it's a huge circle around the Davis, and I get to see all the countryside view. Yeah, that's cool. I take a P-Line myself quite sometimes. I agree with you on this because I personally I take P-Line most of the time, so I think you do point out it's a great countryside view on this road. Thank you so much for the interview today. I learned a lot about Unitrans and bus driving in general today. And I believe the listener also enjoy on the insight you talk about in this interview. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. Well, that was a very informative interview. I didn't even know this might, you know, I'm not very smart. I'm not, I've never claimed I am. But I didn't know Unitrans was just more than um, just students at Davis. Honestly, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a huge part of the campus, but I, I just assumed that it was because they run like directly through the campus in, in several different areas. Um, 
but it's interesting. It's such a yeah. It's you're probably not going to get a college degree and then go drive a bus most likely. So it is a cool thing to do, and you do get a lot of those unique life experiences. Yeah, I mean, I ha I had one friend who was a Unitrans driver, and uh, he told me a little bit about it as well. Just that like. Uh, for one, that is, is, I think it's the highest paying campus job, uh, yes. which is which is interesting. I think none of them yeah, uh, yeah. are pay super high. but <laughs> I think a lot of people do um, the uh, college um, work program. Yeah, I always yeah. get emails about that, and it, it doesn't seem like the greatest deal in the world. No, <laughs> but I, it, it definitely takes a lot of commitment and training this job because, I mean, I, I was just, you know, the brakes they have to hit to, like, how how they have to like time when to hit the brakes to stop the vehicle and then i think it changes based on the amount of people on the bus oh totally yeah have to be thinking how many people are on this bus how quickly do i have to hit the brakes it must like i don't know i'm sure it involves extreme concentration yeah and like just about a commitment like like just like yesterday he has to wake up at like 4 30 to go to his earliest shift which is 5 30 so uh, yeah it takes more than just like I think they should deserve to pay, be paid more just because it's very time consuming. There's like more than just a time commitment, you know, like they need to care about like their own safety, like or, like every everyone's safety on the bus. So, yeah. Well, that is brutal too. imagine doing whatever shift. It's 530 to say 10 or something. Then you got to go to class at, you know, all day. <laughs> if, if that's how your schedule is, I'd say most likely it's something similar. But that is that. I mean, for me, whenever I gotta get up early like that, it, it can kill the rest of my day. Um, but also, I wanted to say he mentioned the driving over the front wheels, and that is kind of a surreal, weird thing. To, I just, I just think having students be Unitrans drivers, being Unitrans drivers is important. Um, just because they learn new, it's just stuff you wouldn't learn. Uh, on campus, usually it, it's real life experience, and it's it's real, it, it's real. It's as real as it gets. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually kind of curious about how they train the drivers because it's it's uh, for me it's like their their driving skills is is uh, astonished to me to be honest, and I I don't know how they you know be a bus driver in like like less than a month training, just kind of. Yeah, it doesn't seem safe. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you guys have, have been there, like seen this, but I, I've been on multiple buses where the person is training as as you're on the bus. Oh, okay. Where there's a person with a clipboard next to them learning. But yeah, um, those are little trainers. Does he but, drive yeah. that bus with the uh, like the old school like English oh, double decker deck? thing? Uh, no, he's he actually said he tried to avoid it because of uh, on those lines they are all, all pretty crowded. So he okay, tried to, yeah. yeah. It looks cool. It's got those uh, yeah, it's cool. uh, yeah. circular staircase or the winding yeah, exactly. staircase, whatever it's called. Well, I guess if there's one thing you can learn from this, it's thank your bus driver because they <laughs> yeah. have a they have a commitment. <laughs> and I know I know a lot always of uh, thank the bus I driver. know a lot of students here like they rely on their bikes uh, to get everywhere. But there's going to be a rainy day, and there's going to be a day where you don't want to take your bike, and you're going to need to use the bus. Uh -huh. And uh, it's important to appreciate those bus drivers, as scary as it is driving next b riding your bike next to them sometimes yeah uh, they're a really vital part of this davis Just, community yeah thank yeah. the bus driver that's a great 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 way to end this so uh we're gonna go ahead and wrap up our segment thanks for tuning in guys we hopefully taught you something about the unitrans system here i know i learned a lot this week uh so we're gonna go ahead and move out and move on to our next group
All right, Nate Littlefield back here, KDRT 95.7, where the, uh, well, Davis, California, of course, where else would we be? Uh, where the grass gr roots grow, we're going ahead and we're swapping over uh, some more vinyl. It gets a little chaotic in here. It's a small room and there could be six, seven people in here. It gets hot, uh, but you know what? We love it. We love doing it here. And we're all really good, smart students. So we just try our best to uh, do what we can. So we're gonna go ahead and do the needle drop right here and we're gonna get started on our next group in just a minute. This is UFM, stands for Undergraduate FM. I'm Erica. I'm going to let my groupmates introduce themselves here. Remember they're ready? Hello, this is Steven. Morning, everybody. My name's Cole. Morning, everyone. My name is Emerald. Yeah. All right. And today we are on the food desk. We're going to be talking about the farmer's market, which I know plenty of people are pretty familiar with around here, but got a really interesting interview coming up, so you may learn something new today. So we're going to get that. We're going to get that started for you guys. Hi, I'm Randy Vanderveer. I have been the executive director of the Davis Farmers Market for 38 years. We started out with one market, and now we run five markets a week, and also some that includes some satellite markets at Sutter Davis Hospital, the UC campus, and most recently at Sutter Medical Center in Sacramento. So just as like a brief history, when did the farmer's market first start and like what was its original goal? It was started in 1976. We were one of the first original certified farmer's markets in the state of California and now there are 850. We are the only, California is the only state that has legislation that actually regulates certified farmer's markets and what that means is that only the farmers who grow produce from their land are allowed to come and sell it we don't there's no resale here they actually get inspected so we were one of the first four we're, we continue to be one of the largest and we're kind of internationally famous and partially because mostly because the city of Davis um, 
you know, it basically supports us. The community just fell in love with us, and so we just have a great relationship all the way around with everybody. The school district, we run a Davis Farm School program where kids are learning how to grow food, how to pick food, how to cook food, and we also um, work with the university and the city, a lot of stuff. How many vendors do you typically have? Here. So when do you operate typically? So we are open year-round on Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mm -hmm. and on Wednesdays from 3 to 6, sometimes a little later in the summer on Wednesdays. Um, we Each market has different numbers of sellers. The Saturday market is the largest. It has probably about 55 farmers and we have some local restaurants. We have crafters that uh, have a thematic criteria of being uh, agriculturally related. So specific and specialty that you can only find here and the Wednesday market is a lot smaller with you know maybe 20 farmers and uh, and then the markets on campus and the market at the hospitals are all like five and under so we love those new markets because we created them so that we could facilitate new farmers emerging into the farmers market world do you think there's anything else that people should know about the Davis farmers market well, we're very grateful that we have such an incredible student population and fans. You know, we call them our fans and our family. Um, we're very grateful that they feel so at home here. I've actually had UCD students tell me that they came, they know nobody, they were so homesick, and then they come to the farmer's market and they feel so much better. So, you know, we want the UCD campus to know that we really appreciate how much they love us. And um, we, you know, very humbled to be here and be so supported by the community and the city and everything, everybody. Well, thank you so much You're for your welcome. time. I appreciate it. Alrighty, so that was, yeah, I interviewed the wonderful Randy McNear, the market manager for the Davis Farmer's Market. I was pretty unaware, kind of like, of the extent and the scope of the farmer's market and kind of a lot of the history. But yeah, it was really fascinating. So now we're going to transition and we're going to talk about our own experiences with the farmer's market, give some good vendor recommendations, and yeah, whoever wants to take it away, go for it. So currently I am a senior, and I think I've only gone to the farmer around three or four times, but each time has been good. Some of my favorite vendors include the hummus vendor. Um, the hot link is definitely a favorite. It hits different. And I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Pachamana Coffee, the cold brew with a splash of oat milk is definitely a favorite of mine. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good coffee at the farmer's market for sure. Uh, for sure. Um, so unlike the rest of my group here, I've actually never been to the farmer's market. Um, kind of blasphemous to Davis, I'd say. Um, but I, I would love to show, show up sometime. However, I do have a short story, I, th I think, that reflects the culture, the type of folk that attend the farmer's market. So about a year ago, I was out with a friend grabbing some beers downtown Davis, and we made our way over to, to the men's rugby house to finish up the night, passing through Central Park along the way. The following morning, my buddy's phone was nowhere to be seen. Backtracking our steps, we concluded it had to be at the rugby house, but Find My iPhone told us otherwise. The app had actually traced his phone to Central Park. So we hopped in the car and headed over to discover the farmer's market was in full swing, as it was Saturday. We began to search for his phone, and almost instantaneously, a stranger approached us. He could tell we were looking for something and handed over my friend's phone. We thanked him for saving us so much time as he began to recollect how he found it. 
So the previous night, he had stumbled across it in the park, brought it home, charged it, and then walked to the farmer's market as he did every Saturday, assuming whoever owned the phone would also be there. I know this story may just sound like a chance encounter, but to me, this farmer's market regular had displayed his true colors. You have to have some strong morals to discover an iPhone, take it home to charge it, and then return it to the place you found it, not knowing how long you might be at, how, how long you might be there. Obviously, not everyone is like this at the farmer's market, but this guy sort of restored my faith in humanity. And that was it. All right, Emerald, what do you got? That was a great story, Cole. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of really good-natured people that you'll exactly, meet at exactly. the farmer's market. What about you, Emerald? Um, I actually have never been, but I have had recommendations, and these are the three that I'm really interested in if I do go. So I've heard that the apple juice is, like, really good. It's to However, die for. <laughs> I did hear that the, the person, I think it's just a, a man, a single guy, who makes the apple juice himself and it's like fresh freshly squeezed or something like that so like you got to get there really early to get some and i know that the bakery goods are really good too um i have a couple of friends who do like to buy their bread from the farmer's market instead of like going to the convenience store or the grocery and um there's also like a different part of the farmer's market aside from the food and those are like the street vendors. So these street vendors are like on the second street, which you can find around Foot King or like Alibaba. And they sell a lot of like jewelry or trinkets. And my friends have like gotten clothes from there. So like thrifting, I guess. Um, yeah, I really want to visit the street vendors and definitely get the apple juice if I ever get the chance. Yeah, I'd definitely say it's worth it. I've heard about that little craft street too that's kind of on 3rd Street. Yeah. yeah. I've stopped by there a few times. We've gotten some art. Um, as for my favorite vendors, if you ever want amazing avocados, like the best avocados you ever have, go to California Avocados and Strawberries. They also have strawberries, some of the best strawberries you'll ever have. Um, I love the people that work there. They're so kind. They will give you exactly what you're looking for. It's going to taste great. And there's also like, there's like a baker stand that has like so many pastries and like the best croissants and like danishes and there's some cold brew coffee at that too i can't remember the name but yeah those are those are my two biggest vendor recommendations but yeah we're we're just about to start gearing down here i hope you guys visit the farmer's market i have to do this real quick i'm going to give a quick shout out to my dad he's listening today i hope he hears this love you dad so yeah um, thank you guys for tuning in. Visit the Farmer's Market this weekend. Thank you very much. Mr. Jailer, go away now. Don't tell me no lies. Mr. Jailer, go away now. Don't tell me no lies. When the train goes down, she's rolling down.
flip this record real quick um, before our next group comes in from what I hear they got a pretty interesting great story um, it's you know we're, we're excited we're happy here at KDRT because the uh, grassroots are growing we're just having a good time we're flipping vinyl I've never played vinyl over the air before this class and it's probably the only time in my life I'm ever going to do it so I'm enjoying it while I can we're going to go ahead and uh, play a little music for you and then switch over to our next group. Thank you. Joseph, and you are tuned into KDRT 95.7, Davis, California, where the grassroots grow. And uh, our group, Too Hot for Radio, is uh, sharing our stories about uh, science. And today we're going to be introducing some research on a jelly ice cube by the UC Davis Biological Sciences. All right. So um, after two years of experiments and researches, scientists at UC Davis recently have developed a cooling jelly cubes that um, could re revolutionize how food is kept cool and shipped fresh without re re relying on ice or traditional cooling packs. Um, at this as this impressive discovery is about to become a development that will be helping not only many industries but also environment, um, I was able to introduce one of the graduate students who involved in the project, Jehan Zhao, and ask her questions how the ice cubes works um, how they came up with this idea and how they see the jelly ice cubes being incorporated in the future. So jelly ice is basically, um, the idea is to create a new type of cool, cooling media to replace ice or ice packs available in the market. Um, there are several features for this new cooling media. First one is, um, so comparable um, with a comparable cooling efficiency as traditional ice. Uh, the difference between jelly ice and ice is that jelly ice does not leak any water once it's thawed. So this much.
hi, sorry guys. Uh, it like seemed to be some technical difficulties and the interview got cut short. Um, but basically, uh, she talks uh, more about how this is really to uh, to to limit food waste because a lot of the times, you know, when people are transporting food, uh, sometimes the ice, it, if it melts and sitting in the food, sitting in water, like if it's poultry or uh, dairy, then people will throw out the food. Um, but with the jelly ice, uh, it can stay, uh, it kind of, it, it doesn't melt, of course, because it's jelly. Um, so uh, this helps uh, limit food waste. Um, and so it's something that uh, can really help uh, with uh, transporting, you know, food um, to more, especially more rural areas places where like there may um, be like need like more refrigeration especially she also mentioned that um once the patent is approved and um it's on the market uh then they may, they may be able to have more uh or have like uh, different uses for the jelly ice so uh she mentions that uh for there is the uh that they could transport like vaccines. So like, as we could see with COVID-19, um, there was the uh, problem with the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, they had to be transported at very low temperatures. Um, so this could um, help like bringing vaccines to rural communities um, because we're able to keep them at a lower temperature with the jelly ice um, because Originally, um, if you recall, the law rural communities were limited to the Johnson Johnson vaccine because there weren't as uh, they didn't need to be transported at such a low temperature um, and didn't need to have these like state of the art facilities uh, with uh, ice to keep them cold. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, I'd like to get anybody else's thoughts on um, on this topic. Um, how do you guys think is are you guys interested in this? Like, how do you um, think what's your opinions on it? <laughs> Well, I've never seen it before, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She mentioned anything about how it tasted, but that is interesting because I I an ice tuber as well. So um, I guess it would be better for your teeth because I am told that ice chewing uh, chips at your teeth. So yeah. maybe if you're chewing the jelly, then, you know, it won't yeah, chip at your it's teeth. It's definitely more chewable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That kind of uh, defeats the sustainability purpose of it. But, you know, many thoughts. Um, so do we want to um, transition to our next story, if uh, you want to, uh, if uh, Joseph, if you want to introduce that? Uh, so our next story is actually about um, infrasound, which is a very low frequency that uh, is not perceptible to humans, but we could actually physically feel it in our bodies. And we are going to have a brief like history about it. Infrasound is sound that is under the 20 hertz range and can be produced both by nature animals, and through machinery. The only living things that can hear in this range would be animals such as whales and elephants. However, discovered by Vladimir Gavro, humans can feel the frequencies in their bodies but cannot hear it. Through this discovery, Gavro speculated that infrasound can be used in waste through the military. One of the most popular ideas that Gavro had was to generate infrasounds as a means of killing others and harming them. However, through trial and error, it was found that infrasound could only do so much to a human that killing was not a possibility, but rather only irritated human listeners. Modern implications of infrasound can be seen through long-range acoustic devices, or LRADs, for communication purposes across long ranges, but people speculated that these devices can actually harm the people within its range. Even more so with the theories of the wind turbine and Havana syndrome, the people within the ranges of the infrasound were being harmed so much that they experienced these out-of-body experiences, but with so little research on the topic and the actual reasons behind these irritations and even killings, 
Many believe that this frequency can still harm others today. Okay, and next we're going to transition to an interview with one of our professors who's actually experienced a concert which these musicians uh, use different devices to create infrasound and make this experience more accessible to the general public. Also, can you please uh, introduce yourself and tell us about this unique concert? <laughs> Hi, uh, my name's uh, Professor Finn Brenton, um, and I had the privilege of attending a bunch of performances by an organization in San Francisco called Survival Research Laboratories. They were uh, a sort of artistic collective that built these gigantic, extremely dangerous machines that would destroy themselves and each other in these sort of massive spectacles of uh, disaster that would take place under mostly freeway overpasses in the 1990s. So one of the devices that they had was an old rocket engine, a massive device that when fully activated, they'd organized it so that it wasn't uh, putting out thrust, it wasn't moving around, but instead it would just generate flame and an incredible amount of noise right down in the infrasonic frequency, right? Like below the normal level of hearing. So you felt it as an extremely powerful vibration that would make your entire body shudder. It was one of the most um, viscerally unpleasant experiences I've ever had. Um, you can feel it resonating in your sinuses. You can feel it resonating in your thoracic cavity in your chest. And it felt like uh, rats were essentially crawling around inside of your rib cage. Can you explain a little bit more about the specific science or like what infrasound is and what goes into that? Yeah. So. Our sense of what sound is is actually a relatively limited part of the whole spectrum of sound, uh, generally running between about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz is what humans can usually hear. Sound that's above 20,000 hertz is ultrasound, and sound that's below 20 hertz is called infrasound. And infrasound is a really interesting space because it's something that you can still experience, but you can't hear. You instead feel it in your body. So when people are able to generate really loud and powerful infrasound, you can often sense that as a kind of really unpleasant shuddering vibration that is passing through you because in fact you're not so much hearing it as being the medium for the sound itself. Cool. And this concludes our segment of science at uh, Too Hot for Radio. Uh, you, are you are currently tuned into KDRT 95.7 Davis, California where the grassroots grow. Spanish lady come to me, she lays on me the surprise. It rainbows viral round and round the tremble and explode.
Oh, yeah. Look at here. It's about time for us to go out. And I'm playing you the deep basement shakers. <laughs> what a group. Anyway. Hey, listen next week. We're going to have more. Sounds so sweet. More Chug Ben.